Joining me on the show today is actor Jeffrey Staub. Now, Jeffrey overcame stuttering, and we discussed that when he made an appearance on season one of the Schofield Stories. That episode was such a hit, it became a fan favourite. So when I started series two, I knew I wanted Jeffrey back on the show so we could talk a lot more. And that we did. And I'm sure we could have talked about so much more. Here we cover again in detail Jeffrey's acting career, his childhood, and how he worked to overcome the fear and overcome stuttering. This is another episode that you're not going to want to miss. I started forcing myself to do things that I didn't normally do, but it made it kind of easy because I loved what I did as an actor. And that can really help someone who's trying to overcome something is start doing things that you love to do, whether it's writing, you know, painting, walking, athletics. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. But when you start doing what you love to do, you feel good about yourself. And when you feel good, you do good. And when you do good, other people see that. Other people witness that. And it's contagious. Welcome to the Schofield Stories podcast. Unmasking masculinity and mental health. Join me, Calm Schofield, as I work to strike the stigma surrounding men suffering from mental health. Every episode, a new inspiring guest will share his story. And this episode is no different. Welcome to the Schofield Stories. Let's get started. Joining me back on the show today is Series 1 legend, actor, Jeffrey Starb. Welcome back. Hi there. My dude, it's good to be back. Uh, thanks for that. Love uh, that nice, nice introduction. I wasn't expecting, expecting you to say legend, but yeah, that's great. So what's changed since our last interview? Obviously, the world is still... A bit messed up, you could say, but what's been going on with you? Uh, well, uh, we, we did our first interview, and was it back in February? Um, yeah, March, April, it was start of the year at least, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we were just easing our way uh, very nicely into the pandemic um, saga. and uh, But it, it was kind of interesting because... Before we started, before we did the, the uh, first interview, I uh, started on a fitness journey on January 2nd. And uh, if anyone follows my Instagram or Facebook, they can see my transformation from January 2nd to April and then to um, September 2nd. So going into 2020 was, you know, it, I had a rough year in 2019 because I took a year off from acting and uh, was taking care of some personal issues and um, there was nothing wrong with me, but I was more or less dealing with other people's drama. Yeah. Uh, so in December, you know, I, I, I let myself go as far as a, a fitness level goes. 
you know, I'd been to gyms and personal trainers and all that. And um, I would work out for three months and then I'd stop. Uh, and then time would go by and I thought, well, not, I got to get back in the gym. And then I would go for a few months and then I'd stop. And then in between, you know, I was doing the, the, the uh, uh, ketogenic diet. And then I uh, started doing some research back in December. And I found this thing called the X3 bar, which is like a personal gym because I had trouble getting to the gym because I travel a lot. And I was trying to find something that uh, I could take with me wherever I went. And I, lo and behold, I found it. It's like the ultimate best thing ever. Uh, and so I, it's, it's resistance bands with a little bar and a platform that they call the second floor. And you put the bands underneath and you can do, you know, oh, yeah. um, chest press and, you know, triceps, and biceps and um, squats and all that. So anyway, when I was doing my research on that, it, it was like a gift from the gods uh, because it's just so easy and so mobile and it's resistance bands and they're very well made. So I started on that journey. But when, when I was doing that, I wanted to also focus on my diet because I had accumulated uh, some fat. You know, I'm six feet tall. I don't know what that is in centimeters. Uh, 188 centimeters, I think, or 183, yeah, somewhere like around there. Uh, and then I, you know, I was weighing anywhere from 210 to 220 pounds. And when I, I'm 51. So when I accumulate fat, the older you get, and of course everyone's different, but it sticks to me from a rib cage, between the rib cage and the knees. That's where it goes. Yeah. So I would get up in the mirror and I'd look and I would just be disgusted with what I saw. And so I started calling myself a slug. Uh, <laughs> so January 2nd, uh, my X3 bar came in and uh, I started a carnivore diet and I just started eating meat and I started fasting 24 hours a day. And six weeks later, I lost 25 pounds, built up some muscle. Um, so that's what I did during the uh, a pandemic. But going into 2020, I was all set to go to Los Angeles, you know, and really take the bull by the horns as far as my acting career goes, because I was, I, was I was really busy, and I'm real good at making money for other people to spend. Oh, yes, yes. You know, so my daughter had just gotten married, my youngest daughter, and she was in college, and I'm still paying for that. And so um, that was coming to an end, and I was excited for 2020. And I started working out, and then this pandemic hit, and I was like, oh, man, you know? And then the pandemic, more or less, uh, turned everybody's life upside down, especially in the entertainment business. You know, no one was filming anything. So I thought, well, this is the perfect, I, I, I was looking for the silver lining Yeah. and I found it and I thought, you know, I've been wanting to get my ass in shape and this is the perfect thing to do because I got nowhere to go. No one's filming anything and I've got all this time just to work on me. So that's what I did. And uh, I'm so glad I did. And I didn't quit it. it um, I adopted this mindset, you know, you, you've had, by the way, 
you, you've got the greatest podcast platform ever because it, if anyone knows your story, and I'll get back to my point, you know, you, you were, you grew up stuttering just like me. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, and I grew out of it, but I still get, I still stutter on occasion when I get really excited. Yeah. And, and I can give you an example of that. But anyway, that what impresses me with you and your podcast is that a little over a year ago, you were working at McDonald's. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> In the UK. Yeah. Make, flipping burgers. Yeah, that was, was my life. Yeah, it, it was the, uh, that was your comfort zone safety spot because you don't have to talk to people when you're flipping burgers. But look at you now. I mean, you're talking to me and now you've got this awesome podcast and you're interviewing television stars, military heroes, Olympic athletes. And somehow I ended up in there somewhere <laughs> because of stuttering. But, you know, I also happen to be an actor, so, but I have to congratulate you um, on your success. It just, for me, I think it's extraordinary what you've done. Um, and I was going to refer to a couple of interviews that you've done, like with Tom Price. Oh, yeah. The UK actor comedian. Well, what yeah. a brilliant show that was. Uh, Nick Dunn, oh, the paratrooper who was in prison for four years. Yeah. Uh, I'm, that guy's like a, a, he's built like a brick house. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's. I'm probably the size of guy. one of his arms. <laughs> he came on, he's huge. The guy's huge. Uh, and he's got such a great attitude after everything he's been through. Um, and for your guests who are listening uh, to this and haven't listened to that interview, go listen to it because phenomenal what that guy went through, being imprisoned for something he didn't do. Yes. In India. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I got to into I got to hear his story first hand. Like I said, something I would have never dreamed of this time last year. Yeah, yeah. Um and then you opened the season. Or maybe you closed the season. I think you opened the season with Mark Colburn. Yeah, Mark Colburn we opened, yeah. Yeah. Um Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. Yeah. Paralympic, yeah. Uh two-hour show that's when, when when i heard that show of course i sent you the that that message of how his show really resonated with me um which brings me back full circle to what i was going to say before yeah. <laughs> as i'm rambling on um the silver lining of what i'm doing now this is a long answer to your very simple question uh but I knew I had all this time to work on me. And the reason why I bring these three guys up is because a lot of what they said in their interviews really resonated with me, especially Mark Colburn and Tom. Um, it's hard for me to relate to what Nick went through because it's so unique. Oh, yeah. um, but you can only imagine what uh, the, uh, the, the kind of crap he had to go through for four years. It's just amazing. Um, did I answer your question? Kind of. Yeah, more. Like, it was just what's going on with you. You're talking about your 
fitness journey and how oh, yeah. you've used this time to work on you. Yeah. So we had all this great time. Um, I was looking for the silver lining and I thought, well, Hey, this is not such a bad thing. You know? Um, so that's what I did. I spent the past nine months working on me, uh, working on my body. I lost, I think 40 pounds. Oh, um, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I actually overshot my goal. I was shooting, I, I had a size 38 waist and I was shooting for a size 34, which is four inches. Yeah. Um, when I got up to a size 38 and they got too tight, I thought, damn it, that's it. I'm not going to go buy any more bigger clothes. So I lost all that weight. I went full carnivore, fasted 24 hours a day um, and just started eating meat. Uh, and supplementing, I've got some other stuff that I supplement with, but um, it's the first diet that I ever tried that really worked. All the inflammation in my body went away. My skin started clearing up. Um, and I lost, I became fat adapted and started burning all this fat. So now I weigh about 170 pounds. I've got a 32 inch waist. Yep. When I, you know, I, I overshot my goal, but uh, Anyway, so that's, that's what I did during the, the pandemic. And um, I, I was really surprised when uh, you sent me a message back in July uh, asking me to be back on the show. Uh, and I was really blown away when you told me why. Um, uh, maybe you can probably say it better than I can. Yeah, well, you were a fan favorite of the first series, particularly your line about wanting it more. You know, when you said you've got to want it more than you don't want it, and you know, you've know got to want to speak fluently more. Those words have stayed with me, and they've stayed with a lot of my listeners. As I know, a lot of people have said to me about your interview, and particularly that line, want it more, and the impact it's had. And we've stayed in contact since. So I thought you know, it only makes sense that I get you back on the show and we can have a proper catch up and talk some more. Yeah, well, I, that's, that's what shocked me. And, the, and the, the big thing that blew me away is I remember doing the interview, but I don't remember exactly what I said. Yeah. And when you told me that it was a fan favorite, I was like blown away. Uh, I'm like, wow. I was not expecting that because... Personally, I thought my interview with you, I thought my performance really sucked. But you, <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, you were fantastic. But usually if I think it's something I do sucks, everyone loves it. All right, yeah. But if, I, you know, if I'm on set and I'm doing a scene and I'm playing a certain role, and if I think I nailed it, everyone thinks it sucks. So I've always got this tug of war love hate relationship with whatever i do and, uh, but i'm uh very humbled and grateful um had no idea that it would end up that way with your show uh, and your interview with me and uh, it must be because you were such an excellent interviewer yeah well thank you <laughs> but again like you say i never think of myself as an excellent interviewer 
I, mm. I think, you know, I, I just doing something that I enjoy doing. And if people enjoy listening or want to listen, and that's a bonus, really. Right, right. Well, I, I enjoy talking to you and I enjoy doing these interviews. I did four this past year, uh, in, including yours, while this is the fourth. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, as a matter of fact, you, you, you quoted that line, you got to want it more than you don't. And every time I'm working out, I work out in front of the mirror. Um, so I get used to seeing myself, you know, um, working hard. And if I feel like I don't want to go one more rep, I always tell myself, you got to want it more than you don't. And then, you know, I, I was on a quest to get my sexy back <laughs> as far as my body goes. And uh, after letting myself go. And so that's what I did. And um, yeah, you, you really do. It, it doesn't matter what you do. You have to want it more than you don't. Absolutely. And if you want proof of that, do you have, have a look on your Facebook or Instagram? Because you know, I've seen it myself. You are in incredible shape right now. Thank you. Thank you. I still have a lot more work to do, but yeah. <laughs> and do you think it's helped your mentality and sort of mindset as well as I've always thought, you know, when I'm working out, when I'm keeping fit, I feel a lot better mentally as well as physically. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, it's, um, I, I don't know what it does to your chemistry, but it does do something to the psychology of how you think. Um, and when you feel better about yourself, um, I mean, I have more energy. Uh, I don't become self-conscious about how I look in clothes. Um, you know, when, when you do good, you feel good. When you feel good, you do good. And when you do good, it's contagious. And I'm just so grateful that I didn't quit. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like uh, overcoming stuttering. You know, I just made up my mind that I was going to get in shape, damn it, once and for all. And I wasn't going to quit no matter how painful it was working out. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel really good um it, it really well here here's the thing it um when and i was real hesitant to post my before and after pics yeah uh, um and i i actually the, the last one that i posted on September 2nd, I was actually looking at my phone for 20 minutes. And I was, I had my finger on that button, you know, to post. And I, I would go down there and I would like, Ugh, and I just couldn't push it. Um, I don't know what I was afraid of. But, you know, I, I didn't want it to become an ego thing. And then I, I finally pushed it after 20 minutes. I pushed that post button and it went up. I'm like, it's too late now, Stabby. You, you can't get it back unless you go on and actually, you know, delete the post. But um, I've gotten several 
messages and notifications and of men and women both who have decided because they saw my transformation at my age and the older you get the harder it gets to burn the fat because you don't have the hormones like you do yeah. um you know you you 20 something uh guys and, and and girls who have all the hormones that you're still still at the plenty you know um it's um an overabundance of the right hormones but when you get older you lose a lot of that so you really have to work at it um but it it, it was the fact that a lot of people were motivated you know to order like an x3 or go back to the gym or get off the couch and go work out and asking me how I did it and so I made that short little video but that that was really made a big difference to me was being able to inspire other people and I live for that kind of thing um, because like you and I for instance we uh, stuttering for me I, I, I grew up feeling like I was a flawed fallible worthless piece of shit basically and uh, and i believed it uh and when i changed my mindset which is why i brought up mark mark coburn um because it, when, in, in his interview with you he talked about a certain mindset and after going through his accident and becoming paralyzed um and joining the Olympics and actually making the team, you have to have a certain mindset. And it's funny that, and I, and I sent you that message. Uh, it's because when I made the transformation, when I decided to become an actor at the age of 35, uh, I started looking for the right people to surround myself with. And I, I used to be a, a gymnast when I was real little. I was in gymnastics. <clears throat> and so when, when you brought him on as a guest, my interest was peaked. And I, I wanted to hear what he had to say. So, um, but I was blown away that in my research when I started acting at the age of 35, uh, I started actually modeling my life after the protocols that an Olympic athlete would actually use because they have to have a certain mindset. I mean, they, they, they can't be going to uh, McDonald's. No, not at all. And eating burgers every day. Um, a lot of these young athletes uh, are homeschooled they dedicate their entire lives to becoming very good at their craft. Um, so when I became an actor at, at the age of 35, I just gone through a horrible divorce, um, came out of a really bad marriage. Uh, I had three grown kids or not, not back then, but I've got three grown kids now. Uh, but I, I was actually, didn't know what I was going to do because I didn't have a college degree and I still don't. Um, 
but I always knew I wanted to be an actress since I was seven. So uh, I, I started modeling my life after the protocols of an Olympic athlete. Uh, and Mark talked about that. You have to have a certain mindset and a certain psychology. And he, I, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think he, he was saying something to the effect that, you know, this is the Olympics. I mean, this is, it doesn't get any better than this. And when I decided to become an actor, I got a lot of flack from people um, thinking I was nuts. You know, but, and I don't remember if I told this story in our first interview or not. Um, but how I became an actor, it was, I don't want to say it was a fluke. I mean, I've always known I wanted to be one since I was seven. But I was a really good singer. And, and as you know, people who stutter usually can sing very well without stuttering. Yeah. So I sang all the time, and at the age of 35, uh, I, I was I was a, a professional singer prior to that in a group called Up With People, and we traveled all over the world, and I was one of their primary lead vocalists. And so I entered this talent contest in uh, December of 2004. Uh, I had just gotten divorced. And so I'm on my way to Orlando, Florida, and halfway down there, I get a cold, a massive chest cold. So by the time I get to Florida, and I'm able to compete with the rest of the 3,000 people who are there, uh, my voice was shot. And so I didn't know, I thought, well, I'm here for 10 days, I might as well make, make the best of it. And <clears throat> Uh, I, I met a guy, an executive producer by the name of John Daly. If you don't know who John is, uh, he's a British fellow. Oh, I like that. Uh, you know, very, uh, very handsome guy. It's a brilliant white hair and he's the biggest blue eyes I'd ever seen. But he's, he's an executive producer. Uh, he's got 13 Academy Awards to his name. And he was one of the, one of the producers on a whole pro, uh, one of the high profile people that they had brought in. And he, he actually heard me sing, uh, and I didn't know he, who he was at the time, but he was on the panel. And he, he I sang a Frank Sinatra tune and I sang a Johnny Cash tune because my voice was shot. Uh, but he winked at me and he kept staring. Um, and then I went upstairs and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? A couple of days have gone by. And I opened up my packet and I was looking at all these breakout sessions that they were having. And John was on one of them. And on the description, it, it, it explained that you know, he was an executive producer of Hoosiers, Terminator, oh, um, wow. Deer Hunter. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, this is kind of cool. So I went to listen to him. And when I was listening to him, uh, I had the aha moment, you know, that this is, because he, he was telling stories about uh, the making of Terminator and Hoosiers, Gene Hackman. Um, 
in all these wonderful stories and how wonderful it is to be in the movie business. And I, a light bulb off went off, went off in my head and I said, that's it. That's what I want to do. I, I said, I, I can't be so stupid. I knew what I, I, I wanted to be an actor since I was seven. I was so inspired that the, at the end of his talk, I went up to thank him. And I actually had to fight with my mind, you know, oh, he's not gonna talk to you, this high profile guy. Uh, and then I thought, you know, if I don't go talk to him, I'll never do something like this. So I forced myself to go up there and I was the last one to actually talk with him. And he was the kindest, most generous man I'd ever met. And uh, I, I told him, you know, I, I'm 35, I just got divorced. And I was so inspired by his talk and I thanked him. I said, thank you for, uh, I, I, I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I've always known I wanted to be an actress since I was seven. And now I know that this is my calling because of you. And so we, 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 we chatted for about 15 minutes. And he was asking me all kinds of questions. He asked me where I was from. And I said, I'm from the Midwest. And he goes, really? I said, yeah. He says, where? I said, Kansas City. He says, that is awesome. Um, he says, I'll tell you why. He says, I've been in Hollywood a long time. I've made a lot of movies. And I love people that come from the, I love people that come from the Midwest. I said, why is that? And he says, well, because people in LA, actors are a dime a dozen. Everyone wants to be an actor. I said, oh, yeah, he says, but, he said, the people from the Midwest are a different breed. He said, they're always friendly and they work hard. He says, I can always spot them on set and I'll go up and I'll ask where they're from and they'll say Nebraska, you know, Missouri. Oklahoma, Texas. He says, I can always spot them because they keep their mouth shut. They do their work. They don't complain. And they're friendly. And they're nice. And he says, you've got a great look. And you've got great energy. And I believe in you. He says, take out a piece of paper. And I still have it. Uh, I said, okay. He says, here's my cell phone number. And I just kind of looked up at him and my, my jaw kind of hit the floor. And I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking this dude's giving me his cell phone number. And so I wrote it down and he says, uh, you have to decide whether you're gonna go to New York or LA. He says, please come to LA. I said, I've, you've got my phone number. When you're ready to come to LA, call me. I'll put you in one of my movies. I'll work with you because I like you. I have a good feeling about you. Uh, we'll start there and we'll build from that. And I was just could not believe this guy gave me his phone number. So, and I still have this, that, that, that piece of paper that I, I wrote his phone number down. So I go home and I wait four years, right? Oh, yes. And I'm, yeah, I, I wait four years until 2008. And all that time, I'm, you know, I'm studying, learning how to be an actor uh, from an outstanding uh, acting coach. 
Brian Cutler, which is another story. Um, but fast forward four years later, uh, I Google John Daly's name to find out what he's working on. And it's like November, the beginning of November. Maybe it's Thanksgiving. Anyway, uh, I Google his name to find out what he's working on. And what's the first thing that comes up? His obituary. Oh. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was, I, I was, I, I was hysterical. I literally cried for 24 hours because that guy um, had so much belief in me. And it, for someone like him to give me their phone number and say, come work with me. And I waited that long to grasp onto that opportunity. And I learned a very valuable lesson uh, because prior to, from, from the time I met him and I studied as an actor and did all this work. And when I, my, my point is I waited till I thought I was ready. And the whole point of this was after crying for 24 hours, <laughs> Um, and thank God I was alone because I think it was, I think it was around Thanksgiving and my family was away and I was depressed. Um, but after I, you know, cried for 24 hours, I went outside and I looked up to the sky and it was at nighttime and I said a little, I offered a little prayer to John Daly and I said, John, I finally get why everyone says not to waste an opportunity when it presents itself, whether you feel like you're ready or not, seize it, you know, carpe diem, seize the day. Uh, and so I promised him that I would never flounder and that I would never waste an opportunity. When opportunity presented itself, I would seize the moment and take advantage of it right away. And I've kept that promise since that day. Um, but it, uh, so that's, that's my story of John Daly and that's how I became an actor. And I've got a lot of serendipitous stories in between meeting him and actually starting my acting career. But uh, stuttering was a big challenge I had to overcome which is probably stuttering for me is probably one of the greatest gifts I could have ever had. Um, and most people probably would think that would be just the opposite, but stuttering and everything I went through, because I, let me talk about my brother, for instance, my, I, when I was growing up, I was the only guy who stuttered in my town. There was only like 75, 80 people in my school class. You know, and I was scared to death to talk all the time because I didn't want to be laughed at or bullied. And I was scared of almost everyone and everything all the time. And, you know, my, my parents loved me and, you know, I, we were a middle-class family 
but I developed a belief that I was worthless because of my stutter. And uh, I'm sure you can relate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then after I had that experience in the seventh grade where I was totally humiliated uh, after uh, having to read a paragraph out of our geography book out loud, and I stuttered through that I didn't want to read, and, you know, being so angry that day that uh, you want me to tell that story over? Yeah, you can if you want. As we definitely got a lot of new listeners who haven't heard okay. it, and even though I've already heard it, I can still relate to every word you say, and so definitely. Okay, well, uh, I didn't start. Let me start. I'll start at the beginning. Okay, I started stuttering. Well, let me back up just a minute, because everything that I've been through in my life has prepared me to what I'm for what I'm doing as an actor and as a human being. Uh, there's nothing in my life, even though it was tragic and traumatic, you know, all the drama, all the trauma, everything that's happened to me and that I've come through. Um, and mind you, some people have had it worse than I have. But when you're going through it, you feel like you're the only one in the world that is going through hard times. But I learned later in life that we are never not alone. Yeah. So, um, so I started stuttering at the age of four. Um, and that was a result of trauma that I suffered from being run over uh, in the car by my dad. You know, I was real little and um, I used to go out on the farm with my grandpa and, you know, and those big burly farmers had these big wheat trucks and, you know, all this big equipment and they can't see when they're backing up. So someone stands behind that equipment and waves them on back, you know, tells them yeah. when to stop. So I get the wild idea at the age of four that my dad drives home, it's raining, I'm outside playing, and he goes to the garage and he doesn't want to get out of the car to open up the garage door because it's raining. And we, we, they didn't have openers back then. So you actually had to get out of the car and open up the door. So he didn't want to do that. And I didn't know what he was doing. I was only four. I was just, you know, what 12 year old knows what's going on anyway. Yeah. So I'm seeing him back up and I run over to the driveway and I'm going like this, acting like my grandpa back, you know, helping him back up, thinking I'm doing a good thing. Well, he's driving a station wagon, a Cadillac station wagon, hatchback. Yeah. Um, you know, with a wood grain down, going down the side, oh, it's yeah. green. Yeah, I know what yeah. I mean, yeah. The uh, Chevy Chase vacation vehicle. Um, and he doesn't see me because the hatchback is too high and I'm only four years old and I'm probably only two and a half feet tall, maybe. Uh, and he backs over me. And luckily, the neighbor is across the street watching this whole ordeal take place uh, and runs over and stops my dad from going any further and finishing the job because oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm pinned underneath the car and I need the muffler. I can, I can remember the heat, but that's the trauma that caused me to start stuttering because I became extremely afraid of my father at that point. Oh, wow. Making the link that, you know, uh, 
that he wanted to do it and he didn't. Um, and he was totally shaken up, but that's the trauma that started um, me stuttering and really affected the next 20 years of my life, uh, you know, with depression and suicide and, you know, spending time in a mental hospital because I'm severely depressed, you know, and by the way, I thought I was crazy until I went to a mental hospital and I found out what crazy was. Uh, and it's nothing like I thought it would be. Uh, but that's a whole other story. So I, th that's what started me stuttering. And uh, I very quickly developed the belief that I, I believed that I would never, you know, be able to talk fluently. Yeah. I believed that I was a screw up. Um, that nobody loved me and I wasn't worthy of greatness kind of thing. It wasn't until that moment in the seventh grade, and I was a quiet kid. I, I was able to skirt through life at a young age without a lot of people knowing that I stuttered because I didn't say much. Yeah. And the constant comment that I received growing up was, God, he's so quiet all the time. Why is he so good? The girls were just like, he's boring. He's so quiet. <laughs> Um, and that, that's devastating, as you know, but you developed, at least for me, I developed a belief that I was worthless. And it wasn't until that moment in the seventh grade in geography class, where we're seated alphabetically, we're halfway through class and the teacher announces that we are going to each read a paragraph out of our chapter and we're seated alphabetically and I'm last because my name begins with my last name begins with an S and I'm praying that the bell rings before they get to me. Yeah. Uh, but lo and behold, the bell does not ring. <laughs> they get it to me and I stutter out. I don't want to read. Uh, and the teacher just kind of chuckled and thought it was ridiculous that I didn't want to read. And, uh, she started asking questions like, why don't you want to read? And I, I stuttered out. I just don't want to read. And then a friend of mine across the room, uh, says, Hey, teach, he doesn't want to read because he stutters. And that day, you know, in front of your classmates at the age of 11, 12, seventh grade, it's that, a time in your life where what everybody else thinks really matters. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it was that day that I was so humiliated and so angry with myself that uh, she, my, my, my teacher held me back from going to my next class. And she goes, we're going to go down to the principal's office and we're going to get you some help. So she drags me down the hallway. And I remember thinking, you know, walking down that hallway, I was so angry and so humiliated and just, you know, mad at myself for stuttering. 
that I decided I was never going to stutter again. It was on that march to the principal's office that I decided I was never going to stutter again. And my parents had sent me to speech therapist after speech therapist. Nothing worked because I believed I wasn't fixable. Uh, but I decided on the way to the principal's office that I was never going to stutter again. I was going to do everything it took to be able to talk fluently like everybody else because I didn't have an example or I, I, you know, there was nobody else who stuttered. It was just me. So I felt very alone and uh, <clears throat> so it took me about four or five years after that before I could actually talk fluently uh, when I was in high school. And I still had the uh, habit of me being quiet and because all the emotional baggage I had accumulated during while stuttering growing up, I held on to, and I didn't realize it. And little by little, I had to let that baggage go uh, to where I'm able to talk to you fluently like I am today. Yeah, definitely. With regards to the baggage side of things, as I know a lot of people who are confident in their speech, but are still scared or anxious to use it because of that baggage. So what advice would you give to them? Uh, you mean if they're still stuttering or if there's... Yeah, they're still stuttering. They're working on their speech, but they're afraid to show it because of the stuttering mentality, the stuttering baggage that comes with it. Let me give you an example of, as I mentioned my, my baby brother before. Uh, I was the only one in my family who stuttered until my baby brother came along. And I don't know what traumatic experience he experienced to start stuttering, but he stuttered just as bad as I did. <clears throat> um, the difference between him and me, and then I'll answer your, this might answer your question, was that I thought of stuttering as a bad thing. And my baby brother embraced it. Um, I, I don't want to say as a good thing, but he embraced it as a part of him. So it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And he lived with it and he worked with it. And, you know, he, he used stuttering to his advantage. Uh, because all the girls thought it was cute. Oh, really? Smart guy. <laughs> yeah. So um, he did something good with it. And I, on the other hand, thought it was something bad. So if, if people are afraid to speak, you know, you, you and I both can really relate to that fear. Uh, but I also have to say that the more you confront your fear uh, and do what you fear, the more courageous you get and the more fortitude that you have and the more resilience uh, and resolve that you have to actually overcome. Because if you can overcome stuttering, which is really can be a very difficult thing to do, you can do anything. 
Um, my, my advice to them would be to surround themselves with people who stutter that have overcome it. Uh, model yourself. Uh, it, it's kind of like the uh, saying that if you want to lose weight, you wouldn't go to someone who is obese in order to learn how to lose that weight. You would go to someone who has been obese and has lost it yeah. because they know what to do. Well, it's the same thing with, with stuttering. There's no need to be afraid because we all have a voice. Um, and you are a great example of that with this podcast. I mean, who, who knew that almost a year and a half later, you'd be, God, it's still close to my mind, that you would be doing what you're doing with this podcast. Yeah. And I think it's brilliant. So, you know, there are many examples. All you have to do, it, 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 it's really easy to, um, once you decide what it is that you, that you want, most people who stutter want to talk fluently. Um, and I still do stutter on occasion when I get really excited. All, uh, for example, um, the recent video that I posted on Instagram about my transformation. I was really excited about what I was talking about. And yet I had had a rough couple of days prior to that. And I was kind of exhausted, but I, there are moments in that video where I stutter. And if you watch it, you can probably pick up on it. Um, there was one moment where I had to, uh, you know, like King George learned yeah. to add a vowel sound uh, to the word in order to get through it. Well, I did that on one word. I don't remember what it is, but you probably pick it up if you go watch it again. Um, everyone has a voice and we, we as human beings, uh, I don't care how many people there are in the world. We, if you're breathing and your heart's beating, you have a right to take up space in this world because you're human. Um, you know, we, we, uh, I don't care if you're agnostic or if you're atheist but we all, in my opinion, are children of God. And we all have a certain amount of nobility already built within us because of that gift. Uh, you, you have to believe in something. Um, but I forgot where we were going with this. Well, we were talking about how to or embrace yourself, how to get rid oh, of that baggage. Yeah. And, you know, just what you're saying so far has been inspiring to me. So I can only imagine how my listeners are feeling. Yeah. Okay. Here's another great example. Okay. When I, back in January 2nd, I looked in the mirror and I took that picture with my tie dyed underwear on. <laughs> <laughs> and that underwear, by the way, was given to me by my daughter as a Christmas gift, which I thought was rather strange. <laughs> But, you know, it, it, it was awesome. It served its purpose. And uh, I'm going to have to buy another tie-dye pair 
um, when I, because on January 2nd of 2021, I'm going to post another pic. It's my year long transformation end. So um, anyway, uh, what I was going to say was when I looked in the mirror and took that picture, I was so disgusted with what I saw. And then I, th I had the thought and I actually had a conversation with myself in the mirror. And I, I said, Jeff, you know, right now you look like a fat slug. I said, but you got to want this more than what, than you don't. And I looked at myself and I said, you know, I'm going to get my sexy back because I'm tired of, you know, grunting and groaning when I have to bend over and tie my shoe or being winded and being out of shape. And uh, so I had that conversation with myself in the mirror and you have to do the same thing. I don't care what you have a problem with. You know, some people have a speech impediment. You know, everybody in this world, every human being has a disability of some kind. It could be speech. You know, you could have one leg that's shorter than the other. It could be in the hearing. It could be sight. Um, you know, you could be born with some kind of a deformity or, you know, if you're lucky enough to be a Siamese twins that, that are attached. Um, everyone has a disability, whether it's mental, emotional, or physical. Now, some people have personality problems, uh, like borderline personality, um, bipolar, manic depressive, depression. Everyone in this earth, on this planet, suffers from some kind of disability. So having that mindset right there means that you're not alone. And when I discovered that I wasn't alone in my stuttering, it was like, wow, there's other people who stutter because I had no idea. I didn't know until you know, I, I got into my teen years. I thought I was the only one in the world. Uh, but if you really want to overcome something, I don't care what it is. Um, you have to find people who have overcome that kind of disability or surround yourself with people who are, who have the same desire that you do. Because we're never not alone in this world, no, no matter what we do or try to overcome. Definitely. That would be my advice. And to bring the point full circle with me being a fat slug, having a conversation with myself in the mirror. Uh, the other thing I said after all that was, you know, you, you don't like yourself right now, but you have to love yourself for the way you are in order to, and be grateful. And, and then I, a few weeks later, I had this thought. And I thought, you know, it's probably a good thing that you were a little overweight and a fat slug 
because you'll appreciate losing it all and gaining the benefits and the results of working out every day and eating a certain way. Uh, I'm going to bring Mark Colburn back to this. And then we're going to talk about Tom Price because he said something interesting in his interview that I really relate with. Uh, yeah, but Mark had to adopt Mark Colburn, the Olympic gold medalist. Um, whenever someone asks me for advice, um, Jersey, another actor, I, I'll, I'll tell them what I did. I said, I, I can't tell you how to, because everyone's journey in life is different. Every actor's journey is different. You know, Mark, Tom Price, him coming up in as an actor and as a comedian, uh, his journey was, you know, different than anybody else's. Very unique, and everyone's journey is unique. So, I, uh, I um, I, for, I forgot what I was going to say now. Um, you're going to talk about Mark Colburn and his journey. Oh yes, um, right, right, right. Um, Olympic athletes, Mark. He, he had to adopt a certain mindset, uh, where he knew that in order to win the gold, and any Olympic athlete. Uh, they don't so much compete against other people as they do with their mindset. And so Olympic athletes, and this is why I love the Olympics and this is why I love Olympic athletes, is because they have to adopt a certain mindset that in order to win the gold, they have to become the kind of person one needs to become in order to win that kind of an honor to walk away with the gold. And so I knew when I started acting at the age of 35, and I know we're jumping around here, um, but when I decided I was going to be an actor and I had that experience with John Daly, uh, I knew that I had an opportunity that I would probably never ever get and I didn't want to screw it up. And because prior to that, I had lived my life, living it up, living my life up to the expectations of what other people thought was right for me. And I knew I had the opportunity and it was a huge window, door of opportunity that was open for me. And I thought, you know, Jeff, you don't really stutter anymore. You still do on occasion. You've always wanted to be an actor. This is your moment. This doesn't happen every day. So when I decided to quit stuttering and committed to it, I actually had the same mindset about my acting career that I knew that I had the opportunity just like stuttering. And all you have to do is decide, just make the decision, make the choice that you're going to do something great. 
that you're going to overcome something. Um, whatever the dis whatever the di whatever the disability is, and I looked at this opportunity as an actor with the same energy and mindset that I did when wanting to overcome stuttering. And so, like an Olympic athlete, when they're training, I mean, they, they don't have time to go out on dates. <laughs> I'm sure they do, but they're training all the time. And they're, they're, they're training anywhere from four to eight hours a day, every day. Uh, and maybe they'll take one day off, who knows. But I started to model my life uh, after that of an Olympic athlete. And I started to eliminate any kind of distraction that would prevent me from achieving my goal of being an outstanding actor. Because I, Caleb, I love what I do. And I'm sure Tom Price can relate. And you know, you, you, you talked about enjoying what you do, enjoying what you do um, in, in, in one of your recent podcast interviews. Uh, and if you're not enjoying what you do, then what's the point? And so I started modeling my life after the protocols of Olympic athletes. And most everyone knows the story about Cortez and the Spaniards and conquering the new world and the islands, uh, you know, they had all these ships in the harbor in the bay and they were going to seize the island, but they needed an escape route, you know, and so it, he didn't want his men not to succeed in conquering the new land. And I'm sure there's a better way to tell this story, but so what does Cortez do? He orders his men to burn the boats. He said, if they've got nowhere to go, then he wanted his men uh, uh, to succeed. It was either do or die, sink or swim. You're not going home, so you might as well win. So that's, that, that's how I looked at my acting career. I burned, I burned the boats. I burned every kind of bridge of retreat that I could possibly think of so that I didn't go back to my old ways of doing things, my old comfort zone-ish ways of doing things. So I started forcing myself to do things that um, I didn't normally do, but it made it kind of easy because I loved what I did as an actor. And that can really help someone who's trying to overcome something is start doing things that you love to do, whether it's writing, you know, painting, walking, athletics, I don't care what it is, it doesn't matter. But when you start doing what you love to do, you feel good about yourself. And when you feel good, you do good. And when you do good, other people see that. Other people witness that. And it's contagious. It's like, um, 
I, I was real surprised when I went through my fitness transformation and I posted those pics. I started getting dozens and dozens of messages from people telling me how inspired they were about my transformation so much so that they decided to go out and, and get in shape. And I live for that kind of thing. So uh, this is the long winded answer to your question about what, what, what advice would I give to someone who's stuttering to get through it and overcome it. Um, decide that you're going to overcome it. Decide you're going to conquer. <clears throat> it's one thing to decide, but it's a total other thing to commit to it. You not only have to decide, but you have to commit to that decision and do whatever it takes to achieve that outcome that you want. And if you don't know what you want, all you have to do is think of what you don't want and then think of the opposite of that. And that'll tell you what you want. But most people know what they want. And you know, some, some people will come out and say, well, gee, I don't know what I want. And I, say, I don't believe that. They have some idea in their mind about what they want. Um, and not to become afraid of it. So, you know, I had to accept myself as a fat slug <clears throat> in the mirror. And I actually told myself, <clears throat> you know, you didn't like yourself when you stuttered, you hated yourself. And now look at you, you're a fat slug. <laughs> uh, and I talked to myself all the time. And I used to feel guilty and shameful of that until I read an article where um, people who actually talk to themselves as a sign of genius. And I was like, really? <laughs> okay, well, so I talk to myself all the time. Uh, but looking in the mirror, I'm a fat slug. Uh, I said, you know, you're a fat slug now, but you're not going to be in nine months from now. So I love you and accept you just as you are. And that kind of made me feel good. It, it kind of let me off the hook. And I kept saying to that, to myself, I would get up every morning, fat slug or not. And I would point at myself and I would say, I love you, you fat slug. <laughs> uh, and then as the time went on, you know, I would get up and say, I love you. You're doing a great job. You're looking good. Um, and sometimes in the morning I would get up and look at myself and be surprised at what I was looking at. Uh, but, you know, the other flip side to all this is not to take yourself too seriously. Um, and I'm going to bring up Tom Price here because he said something in his interview with you that's just brilliant. Uh, he, he, and he talked about the arrogance of, well, here's what he said. He, he said something to the effect that he always knew that he would be doing what he was doing. Oh, and yes. he just had this... Yeah, he just had this belief. And he says, you, you have to have this certain kind of arrogance. And he said, and, and it's, it's not a conceited arrogance.
it's a it's kind of a a mystical quantum physical type of belief that you just know you're destined to do something and actually anthony hopkins talks about this sometimes where you know he he just if there's something that you want something that you love like me i i've always I've, I've always believed that someday I was going to be an actor and that someday I was going to be doing what I'm doing today. You know, and I'm no major star yet. Yet. But that's not the whole point. You know, being famous and being a movie star is one thing, which is why I bring up the whole, why I bring up uh, the whole idea about the Olympics is that in order to do what I have to do as an actor, I can't take myself too seriously and let the ego take over because when that happens, then you end up with people who destroy their careers. They do stupid things. They start believing that, you know, they've got this God complex. And I never want that to happen to me. So I, I would defer to being humble versus being egotistical. Um, but with that said, you know, with, with, with Tom Price, you know, I've always had this belief, just like Tom, which is why I loved your interview with him. Uh, I always knew that I would be doing what I'm doing today. I didn't know how it would happen or what I'd have to go through to get there. But, you know, Mark Colburn, even Nick Dunn had to develop a certain mindset in order to keep himself from going crazy in prison. Um, you have to develop this mindset and this belief that you're worthy of greatness. You know, everyone has a light that shines from within, you know, yeah. and <clears throat> the reason why I love what I do is uh, there was a movie that came out in 2006 called Aquila and the Bee, and it's a true story about a little girl who grew up in the east part of L.A., poor, uh, grew up in the ghetto, <clears throat> and she became the National Spelling Bee champion. So this movie was about her transformation from uh, not believing she could do it to becoming this National Spelling Bee star. And so I'm sitting in the movie, right? And I'm hearing her quote the uh, Miriam Williamson speech, uh, our deepest fear. You know, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. You know, who am I to be brilliant, talented, fabulous? Well, actually, who are you not to be? We were born to be manifest the light of God that's, with, that's within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in all of us. And shrinking, shrinking our light and ourselves so that others don't feel insecure around us doesn't serve anyone. And when I was sitting in that movie, because I almost didn't go to watch this movie, my intuition was, you know, screaming at me to go see this movie. So I, it was a cold winter, February night, it was snowing, and I went to go see this movie. And I'm so glad I did. And I was the only one in the theater which was amazing. And I, the reason why is because it was snowing. Um, 
but I'm glad I was the only one in the theater because I, after hearing her recite that speech, a light went off on my head because prior to that, uh, 2006, I would have been 37 years old. I always had the feeling like there was something that I was just missing in life. You know, some nugget of wisdom that I was just not able to figure out. And I just didn't feel complete or whole, you know. But when I heard her say in that movie, and this is why I love being an actor, because I get the opportunity to have a big profound impact on other people's lives through whatever character I'm playing. Um, but when I heard her say that shrinking ourselves so other people don't feel insecure around us serves no one, a light went off in my head and I thought, that's it. All this time, I had been shrinking myself so that other people wouldn't feel insecure around me. Yeah. And I actually wept after I heard that line because I knew that was the golden medal nugget, the piece that I was missing. I wasn't letting my light shine. So ever since that moment, and I had to go back and watch that movie two or three times, uh, just so I could hear it. Um, but so many of us, you know, we, it, everyone has a light. Everyone has this wonderful spirit, you know. Uh, but so many of us are walking around like we're wearing a lampshade. Take the damn thing off. Let your light shine. Be brilliant. Here's another example of what I mean. You know, Caleb, there's, there's no one who can do what you do the way you do it like you do it as a podcasting reviewer, as a stutterer, as a burger flipper. <laughs> I'm sure there's no one who could flip burgers like you. No, no I'm sure it's not. <laughs> no. So, and that's what makes you brilliant is that you do things in a certain way that nobody else can do them that way. And that's what I tell other actors. You don't have to come into this business with a feeling that you have to compete with other people or one up them because that's not what it's about. The whole thing in life, I don't care who it is, is to be who you are and live up to your, live up to your potential, your unique gifts. So th the way you do things like the, the Everyone knows who Meryl Streep is. Yeah. Everyone knows who Tom Hanks is. You know, Tom Hanks is Forrest Gump, you know? Um, Meryl Streep, so I'm just using them as an example. Sir Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, Morgan Freeman, James Earl Jones. Um, what's her name? She stutters, she's from the UK. Oh, is it Emily Blunt? Yes, Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, yes. Yes. Um, that, it, the whole extraordinariness about being who we are is that no one can do what you do the way you do it. 
That's what differentiates an Emily Blunt from a Meryl Streep, uh, a Morgan Freeman from a Tom Hanks, you know, Whoopi Goldberg from Arnold Schwarzenegger. You give all them the same role and they're all gonna do it different. And that's brilliant. So when someone asks me advice about acting and I, I, I tell them that, they, they kind of get it. You, know, you don't have to worry about competing because what you do is better than what anybody else can do because no one can do it like you can do it. And that's where our personal light comes in. You know, let your light shine. There's, there's, there's majesty in that. There's nobility in that. And so when I discovered that I wasn't letting my light shine and I was walking around with this goddamn lampshade over my head, I took the damn thing off. I'm not afraid to let my light shine in front of other people because it inspires them to do the same. And that's the whole point. You know, that's Mark Colburn. That's Tom Price. Nick Dunn. Caleb Schofield. I mean, we can go down the whole list of, you know, um, Meryl Streep. And we all have moments of doubt, of self-doubt. I do, still. Yeah, we do. Where we kind of cower in the corner. Um, but then you, 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 you have to decide which comes back to your original comment at the very beginning. Um, you have to want it more than you don't. Yeah, absolutely. I think on that note, that is a good place to end the show. As as always with you, time seems to fly. It did. Really We've been talking for what? Hour and a half? Yeah, somewhere like that. And it feels like it's just flown by. So thank you for coming on again. And if this gets the same reception, I think it will. We may even see your face again in the future. Okay. Well, you know what? We'll have to do it in person. Yeah. Next time. Next time, it'll be sat opposite each other having a yeah. coffee or beer yeah well I, I i've got a promise to keep you know i, I i'm, I'm going to take you out to dinner and, and buy you a pint yeah so i'll be next yeah. time that you're on the show <laughs> okay all right Thank you for listening to this episode of the Schofield Stories podcast. Without you, my incredible listeners, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So I hope you know how much your support means to me. We're on a mission to strike the stigma and unmask masculinity and mental health. And just by tuning in and sharing this podcast, you are playing a key part. Schofield Stories, as always, is proud to support Stop Holding Back, a personal development charity for people who stutter, a charity and a cause very close to my heart. Finally, if you want more, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and the official Schofield Stories website, theschofieldstories.com. That's all from me today. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. 
and I can't wait to speak to you again soon. I've been Calm Schofield, you've been listening to the Schofield Stories. Bye for now.